Welcome back to another episode of the Feminist Mormon Housewives Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, bringing you another episode in the year of polygamy. If this is your first time tuning in, I would recommend that you start with episode one with Fanny Alger, as this series is meant to go in chronological order as best as possible. So thank you for listening. I'm excited to bring you another episode. This time we're talking about one of Joseph Smith's plural wives, Melissa Lotch. She is one of the later plural wives that he would marry right before his death. And um, she has a very interesting story, very connected to Mormon history, so I hope you will enjoy this. I'm not going to have a reader for this one because we don't have a lot of primary sources, meaning uh, Melissa herself writing the stuff, although I do have her Temple Law affidavit, which I will read. So let's get into it. Melissa was born on January 9th, 1824 in, in Pennsylvania to parents Cornelius Peter Lott and Permelia Darrow. We don't know a lot about her childhood. We do know that she moved around a lot, and her family was converted to the Mormon church sometime around 1834. In 1836, the Lott family ended up in Kirtland. And if you know anything about 1836 and Kirtland, this would have been a time of great spiritual manifestations in Kirtland. A lot of, like, um, sort of Pentecostal experiences were going on in Kirtland. There was also, um, parallel to that, a lot of... A lot of persecution from the saints. Now, between the 1836 or 738, that that would be known as the Mormon War, and that's here we have Hans Mill happening at that time, and we have a lot of skirmishes. We have a lot of violence between the Missourians and the Mormons. To live in Kirtland at that time was not a good time to live in Kirtland, as far as violence goes, and she would have lived there. Around this time, Melissa's father, Cornelius, invested in the Kirtland Safety Anti-Banking Society. And if you've never heard of that before, it's something you you really need to study up on. I will just give you a brief, brief background. It's a really complicated issue, but it caused a lot of persecution and a lot of issues for the saints from outsiders, but especially from insiders in the church. Um, the Kirtland Safety Society was basically a bank that was it was first proposed as a bank in 1836 and then later became an like a organized stock company in 37. It didn't last very long, but it was intended to kind of serve the needs, the financial needs of the Mormons in Kirtland, Ohio. The preamble stated, quote, for the promotion of our temporal interests and for the better management of our different occupations, which consist in agriculture, mechanical arts and merchandising. Now, the problem was the bank failed miserably. Joseph Smith was good at a lot of stuff, but he was not good with money. And um, he and Signe Rigdon got in a lot of trouble because they they formed this. They had a lot of they had a lot of people invest in this, and um, it just it failed miserably. Joseph and Rigdon were accused of having an illegal bank and um, issuing unauthorized bank paper. They, I mean, so so much, so much of it failed. But a lot of the members at the time who had invested their money, a lot of them lost their savings, and a lot of them accused Joseph Smith of trying to prop himself up as a leader of the Mormon church and take all their money. And so this would cause many Mormons to be bankrupted, and many would leave the church over this. This was a huge uh, deal. And if you hear, if you ever hear, like, there's that famous quote from, I think, Marlon Jensen, where he refers to 
there we've never seen such great apostasy in the church since uh the days in Kirtland. I think he's referring to this period when there was so much conflict, people were leaving the church in droves because they just didn't have faith in Joseph Smith's leadership at the time, and this was a huge part of it. So anyway, I think that's really reductive. Um, I think you really need to read about how that happened. A lot of the Quorum of the Twelve were involved. It was a big deal. So anyway, Melissa Lott's father, Cornelius, invested in this bank, and he lost much of his savings there. Another important event occurred for Melissa in Kirtland when she was baptized there at age 13. And so for all of its terribleness, if you're really into... The Mormon church, it would have been a really cool time to also say you were baptized in Kirtland at that time, and she was. The family soon moved right near Hans Mill, and, you know, we all know Hans Mill. I covered it in the last podcast, but her father, Dan, her father Cornelius, became a Danite leader. Now, if you've never heard of the Danites, I love the story of the Danites. It's like one of my favorite Mormon stories. Basically, Remember, there's all this violence going on in Missouri, and it's said, it's rumored that when Joseph, when Joseph took the men to Zion's camp, he formed the Armies of Israel coalition, basically, to protect the saints. And some scholars argue that that was the, the official original formation of the Danite group. Now, the Danites were often criticized by Joseph Smith. I think he called them a secret combination of the Book of Mormon, and they operated much like a secret combination they they met in secret. They organized in, in secret. One of the main leaders was Samson Avard. And uh, I think they originally organized the group under the name the Daughters of Zion. And it was all very secretive. They had routine events that they organized around. Um, everything was very, very ritualized. And they're, they're known for having the whistling... What's it called? Um, the whistling and the whittling brigades, because these guys would carry on their their Bowie knives and they would whistle and whittle something as like a sign of danger or that people were going to be in trouble. Anyway, they are said to have done a lot of a lot of bad bad stuff underground. They caused a lot of violence. Now, before the actual Hans Mill broke out, you have to realize that there was a lot of violence from the Missourians to the Mormons, but the Mormons definitely retaliated and sometimes were the cause of some um, of this trouble. The Danites uh, were said to have caused trouble, but what's interesting is the Danites were actually formed not to uh, protect the saints from outsiders, but to protect the saints from themselves. They were actually organized to uh, take care of dissenters which is a big deal, and it's kind of chilling to think about what that would have been like. We think sometimes the costs are high for leaving the church now. There are some terrible, terrible rumors about the Danites, and there's there's really uh, interesting, cool debates out there as how far the Danites existed into the Utah period. Some scholars think that they carried on, and some think that they do not. Again, if you read a lot of the Mountain Meadows Massacre rhetoric, you can hear a lot of these secret like oaths and also the priesthood and that kind of stuff that kind of referenced the Danite group. So anyway, so her dad would have been um, one of these Danites. And again, I just barely covered this. This is a fascinating story. You need to listen about the Danites and some of the terrible things that they did in um, the Battle of Crooked River and the Davies Expedition and and um, all the things that they're rumored to have done after that. And there's there's a lot of debate whether Joseph Smith actually was involved with them or not. So 
it's kind of an interesting, interesting thing. You should also look up about Samson Avard. He, he's a very interesting character as well. So anyway, her dad was a Danite leader. Uh, this alone would have involved her family in a lot of drama surrounding the mob raids, both uh, from outsiders and from Mormon militia leaders. She would have seen a lot of this. There would have been a lot of stuff going on. It would have been a really tumultuous time for a young teenage girl to grow up in. By June of 1842, the Lott family, including Melissa, were living and working in Pike County and settled a few miles southeast of Carthage Road. So they had gone now, they had left Kirtland, and um, they you can imagine that that must have been a tumultuous time living right by Hans Mill. They worked on the Joseph Smith farm where Cornelius managed the farm for Joseph Smith, and the same 18-year-old Melissa moved to Nauvoo and lived in Joseph Smith's home. As is the pattern with many of his wives, she would move into the home. She was most likely helped with the children and did household chores. Joseph Smith III, who would later take over the RLDS church, was one of the Smith children Melissa would have cared for. He remembers of Melissa. She was, quote, a tall, fine-looking woman with a dark complexion, dark hair, and eyes. She was a good singer, quite celebrated in the local way. I've heard her sing at parties and receptions in private home and on the stage, where theatrical performances were given, end quote. It was around this time that Joseph must have taken notice of her and would have soon uh, proposed plural marriage to her, even though Melissa would move back in her family. Um, by the end of the month, Liza R. Snow, Elvira Holmes, Elizabeth Durfee, and Elizabeth Whitney rode out together to visit the Lot Farm. And, of course, all these prominent women riding out to the lot farm, this this visit would have a very important purpose. Eliza, Elvira, and Elizabeth Durfee had married Joseph Smith a year earlier. And Elizabeth Durfee, if you remember, was one of the older wives of Joseph Smith. She was considered, quote, mother in Israel. She was the older woman who had married Joseph Smith only for the purpose of bringing in younger women into the practice. She would sort of groom them for... Uh, set them up to become a plural wife. She also helped prepare the Partridge sisters, which we talked about, and now she was here to prepare this young Melissa for the new principal. We don't know how the conversation occurred, but we know that by September, Melissa had agreed to enter into Joseph's practice of plural marriage. And you can imagine that, like, if all these prominent women, you know, in your Relief Society showed up when you're an 18-year-old girl just entering Relief Society, this would have been a, a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. And you, it would also, I imagine, feel sort of flattering to be involved in something so secret with the, you know, the, the prophet. She would marry Joseph Smith on September 20th, 1843. Her parents would be witnesses at the ceremony with Hiram Smith officiating. Uh, years later, as a 68-year-old woman, Melissa actually did write down one of her vows. She wrote, quote, you both mutually agree to be each other's companion, husband and wife, observing the legal rights belonging to this condition, that is, keeping yourselves holy for each other and from all others during your lives, end quote. Interesting that these vows are considered monogamous vows, and yet uh, plural marriage was not a monogamous relationship. And as we'll talk about in the Utah period, polygamy was very much seen as a monogamous sort of polygamy. It's really weird. Um, these relationships were considered monogamous between the, the husband and the wife. 
the wives didn't have a whole lot of say usually in picking the other wives. It wasn't a mutual relationship. It was considered the sort of monogamous relationship between the husband and wife. And you can see this in the vows that she was talking about, that these two are promising themselves wholly for one another and from all others during their lives. So it's interesting interpretation how that that would have played out. Joseph's other plural wife, Sarah Ann Whitney, remembers similar vows with the exception for Joseph, who of course had many other wives, her, she wrote, quote, reserving only those rights which have been given to my servant Joseph by revelation, end quote. So that could have been the loophole there that, uh, the wives were, uh, expected to be monogamous, but, um, Joseph or the husband was not. As with many of the plural marriages of, of Joseph, the bride's family would benefit from the match. That was part of the reason, and this is why so many historians argue for the dynastic ties. Um, on the day of Melissa's marriage to Joseph, her parents, Cornelius and Permilia, were sealed together for eternity and honor at that time, which wasn't reserved for everyone. So remember, all these people that were getting somehow involved with the practice, whether peripherally or directly, they would get sealed. Emma Smith, you know, when she finally accepted the practice, then she got her endowment taken out and we see it with Heber C. Kimball and um, all these other friends of Joseph Smith. If they gave a daughter or sister or a wife to Joseph Smith, then they in turn got their endowment taken out. It was kind of a deal like that. Melissa would later write about her short marriage to Joseph Smith. She would say, quote, I did not go to church with Joseph Smith, was never seen on the streets or in public places with him as his wife during his lifetime, end quote. Melissa did share some important Im- information that would prove famous in her temple lot affidavit she was said she was joseph's wife quote in very deed cornelius was soon endowed with his wife and joined the holy order and he also became initiated into the council of 50 shortly after their marriage let me read you some quotes about the her temple law affidavit this is a transcript um from melissa lot i'm just going to read you some of it I would encourage you to go to Brian Hales' site, josephsmithblamey.com. He has a lot of the transcripts of these Temple Law affidavits, which is where we get a lot of information about the wives of Joseph Smith. Um, and again, these were done, these were taken years and years later after the fact when the Temple Law case was going on, when they're arguing over the property of the Temple Lot and who it belonged to, and that's where these affidavits came out. Both sides were invested in whether Joseph Smith's polygamous unions were legitimate or not. So here's the question given to Melissa. She said, there was not any children born to you by Joseph Smith. And Melissa answered, no, sir. The question, have you ever born any children since that time? Answer, yes, sir, I have. Question, state now the reason why you never bore any children by Joseph Smith. Answer, well, that is something impossible to do. That is something I can't tell. Question, now you said there were no children born of that marriage to Joseph Smith. Answer. I said I had none. Question. You had none by Joseph Smith? Answer. Yes, sir. And you asked me why I hadn't any, and I told you I couldn't tell you, that you would have to go to some higher authority than I to tell you that. Question. Did you ever room with Joseph Smith as his wife? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. At what place? Answer. At Nauvoo. Question. What place in Nauvoo? Answer. The Nauvoo Mansion. Question. At what place in the mansion? Answer. Do you want to know the number of the room or what? Question. 
Well, just what part of the house the room was in and if you can give it. Answer. Well, I can give it and the number of the room, too. It was room number one. Question. Room number one? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. Who else room there? Answer. I don't know of anyone. Question. So you roomed with Joseph Smith in the Nauvoo Mansion in room number one? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. How often did you room there with Joseph Smith? Answer. Well, that is something I can't tell you. Question. Well, was it more than once? Answer. Yes, sir, and more than twice. Question. Well, that is something I would like to know. Answer. Well, there is something I would like to know. If I am to be asked these questions, I would like to know if I am to answer them. I have told you all about this thing that I know, and I can't see any reason in your worrying me with these questions, and I would like to know if I have to answer them. Question. Well, if you decline to answer them, say so, and that will do. Answer. I don't decline to answer any question that I don't know anything about. Question. Well, answer that question then. Answer. What is the question? Question. I asked you how many times you had roomed there in that house with Joseph Smith. I do not expect you to answer positively the exact number of times, but I would like to have you tell us the number of times as nearly as you can remember it. Answer. Well, I can't tell you. I think I acted the part of a lady in answering your questions as well as I have, and I don't think you are acting the part of a gentleman in asking these questions. Question. Well, I will ask you the question over again in this form. Was it more than twice? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. Well, how many times? Answer. I could not say. Question. Did you ever at any other place room with him? Answer. In what way? Question. Of course I mean as his wife. Answer. Yes, sir. Question. At what places? Answer. In my father's house. Question. At other places did you ever room with him as his wife? Answer. Well, now I think that that is all the places it was necessary for me to answer you one way or the other. Question. Did you ever room with Joseph Smith at any other place or places than at the Nauvoo Mansion and at your father's house? That is, did you ever room with him as his wife? Answer. Them is all the places I remember. Question. Those are the only places you remember? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. No, at the time you roomed with him, did you cohabit with him as his wife? Answer. Yes, sir. Question. And you never had any children? Answer. No, sir. I answered that question before I told you no. Then later on, Joseph Smith III would ask her similar questions. And again, these, these statements, I mean, it seems like he was asking those questions over and over and over, being really redundant. And you have to understand these were sort of like Victorian women answering questions about their sexuality in a very scandalous sort of way. Polygamy was very scandalous. So this was a, this was a big deal for them to sit on the stand to do this. Joseph Smith III was also invested in finding out if his father was a polygamist or not. He, he launched a huge investigation. Again, this had to do with the Temple Lot case too. A lot of property was involved, um, because they had to figure out who the property belonged to and all of that. And we'll go into the Temple Lot case later on as we go throughout the series. But anyway, Joseph Smith III also launched an investigation. And I'll just read you that, that short quote. He said, quote, question. Were you married to my father? Melissa's answer was, yes. Question. Was, was you a wife in very deed? And she said, yes. 
He said, why was there no increase, say, in your case? And she said, through no fault of either of us, lack of proper conditions on my part, probably, or it might be in the wisdom of the Almighty that we should have none. The prophet was martyred nine months after our marriage. Anyway, we'll go into later on why these were such a huge deal, but I'm, I'm actually, you know, I, on the one hand, I feel really bad that these women had to be subjected to that because that would have been a really shaming sort of scandalous thing in some ways and in an empowering way in others. But, uh, we do know a lot of the history because of it. And so it's good to have these documents. And so Brian Hales has done a great job on his site. Anyway, so, um, Melissa would return to the Smith home to live and help Emma with her children, Joseph the third, Frederick and Alexander, who attended the same school as Melissa and she would escort them to school and back. In the summer of 1844, Melissa was widowed when Joseph was killed in Carthage. Church historian Andrew Jensen believes that after Joseph's death, Melissa stayed on in the house to help Emma Smith for a while. She would have several suitors interested in courtship, but Cornelius would not allow it. On February 8, 1846, um, Melissa was officially sealed to Joseph Smith for eternity, with John Milton Bernhizel standing proxy Melissa was sealed to John Bernhizel for time. He was 47, he was a 47 year old doctor and a bishop in Nauvoo, and he was already married to six women at the time. He was also an adopted son to Joseph Smith through the law of adoption, not through what we understand adoption to be in, in contemporary days. Little is known about her marriage except for it, that it did not last. Todd Compton suggests this could be because Bern, Bernhizel, uh, considered the marriage ceremonial ceremonial only or that the relations did not work out for whatever reason the two did not stay married very long the lot family traveled to winter quarters where melissa would lose several several family members she traveled west with the heber c kimball company only three years later on may 13 1849 she married 25 year old ira jones wiles for time ira had suffered through mob persecution in in jackson county and Wilford Woodruff uh, was a close friend of Ira's and wrote that Ira was, quote, whipped by Moses G. Wilson with hickory gads in 1834, and he bears that marks upon his back to this day, which he has exhibited to us, end quote. So he was whipped by the mobs, apparently, and uh, wore those scars. Ira had been a volunteer in the Mormon Battalion and was successful in making the long, perilous journey to California, uh, the couple would live in Salt Lake for one year in very primitive conditions with most of the other saints, and then they moved to Lehigh where they purchased a farm, and their settlement became known as Lotville. Ira and Melissa would go on to have seven children, four sons, and three daughters. Melissa became a plural wife for the third time when Ira took Naomi Sariah Parks, a 16-year-old girl, as his second wife. That marriage would end quickly with no children. Oftentimes, we talked about divorce being quite fluid um, and common. A lot of these marriages didn't work out, and there was not really any formal divorce. You could just sort of walk away <laughs> and leave your leave your spouse, and uh, that was your divorce. That was your separation. Melissa's life would meet tragedy on December fifteenth, eighteen sixty three, when she noticed Ira's oxen t- oxen team wandering around the front yard. Ira was supposed to be hauling wood and hadn't returned home that night. He was killed while crossing a creek near Lehigh. It was said he was thrown from a load of wood into the water, together with his son, Cornelius John, who was nine years of age. So she lost her son, that was nine, and her husband. And you can only imagine the grief that she felt to lose both of them at the same time. 
She was called to weep over the bodies before they were taken to Salt Lake City for a funeral. She would again see tragedy when Ira Pratt Wiles, her oldest son, died at the age of 19 years, and we don't really know the cause of that. She also lost her oldest daughter, who died at the age of four years old. So she, she dealt with a lot of that. It was a hard time to be alive. It was a hard, rough land. When her husband was killed, she was left with four small children, and the youngest was a baby girl of four months. Melissa would stay active in the Relief Society and in the church, struggling to manage her responsibilities on her own. On October 20th, 1885, Joseph Smith III famous, famously arrived at her doorstep seeking answers into her father's past. And this is what I read earlier. This is much of the information we have from her marriage to the prophet. And she would testify in 1892 in the Temple Lot case, which I also read. She would pass away on July 13th, 1898 at the age of 74 in the home of her daughter, Sarah. Utah Historical Society lists her burial as being in Lehigh, Utah, and a memorial marker is found at the Salt Lake City Cemetery. I think the lot is C17, where her husband, Ira Wiles, is buried. So if you go there, you can actually see one of the plural wives of Joseph Smith, famous in the, in the Temple Lot case, a very famous name. Lehigh's first cemetery no longer exists, but a large marker has been erected in memory of the dead who lie there. It's located on Highway 91 at 8th North in Lehigh, and it says Melissa Lot Wiles. So anyway, that's a really interesting story. You have a lot of additional reading if you want to read into this. I would recommend reading about the Kirtland Safety Society. I would recommend reading about the Danites, uh, Lions Camp. Those are all really good things to help contextualize a lot of stuff going on. Temple Lot Case we'll be covering later on in the future. But I hope you're enjoying the series. If you are, consider leaving a donation at feministmornhousewivespodcast.org. Our server fees just ran up, and so we had to pay a big chunk of money for that. So every little bit helps, and thank you for those who have supported us so far. And we hope you enjoy listening at the Feminist Mormon Housewives Podcast.